You ready to record? We're on. We're recording. Do you want to do the whole thing live? For, like, forget the bumper? Try yeah. to do it? I don't see why not. Are we recording? I don't see why. Yeah, awesome. move this over here so we're, like, right on it. You, oh, we're good. you do the first, so we've been thinking. I'll do the second, and then we do it Got together. It. So we've been thinking. So we've been thinking. The podcast. The podcast. <laughs> <We've> <laughs> Take two. That. Take two. Ready? You start. So we've been thinking. So we've been thinking. The, the podcast. podcast. All right, so this is our first live edition of the So We've Been Thinking podcast, the first time Sean and I have been face-to-face recording, the first time going live on Instagram while we're recording the podcast. So the topic this afternoon is going to be about digital citizenship. Um, What we found is that that concept and the idea is massive. It's challenging to define it. It's challenging to figure out a consensus on what it means. So we wanted to try to unpack it a bit and just talk about it and see if we can figure out or maybe land in a different place or have some agreement on what it means or maybe just pose some questions to think about. I'm trying to think about how to contain it because the idea of digital citizenship has expanded so much. Like the idea of civic education is like rolled up in that too. So I'm doing some work with Tom Driscoll uh, about civic education and trying to separate those two issues is kind of uh, kind of difficult. So. Uh, um, like, where do you want to begin to discuss uh, digital citizenship? So, let's see. I think the first thing that comes up is when the, when the idea is brought up, digital citizenship tends to equal um, students becoming aware of the content that they're consuming. So it's effective search or accuracy or um, if in- information is fraudulent that, that might be like entry level number one. And then the other one that maybe starts with the younger guys is just being aware of like, what are you posting online and is it safe? Right. And you can generically put those together by saying appropriate online behavior, right? Are you saying the right things in the appropriate, are, the appro- are you behaving appropriately in the spaces where you are with the audience that you're with, right? I like to think of it like a hallway. If you were in a hallway at school, what is the tone that's appropriate for the space that you're in? How do you interact with people that you know and that you don't know? Right? But on top of that, there's also um, like so that behavior part, but the how do you treat other people's behavior? If you saw a phone on the ground in a hallway at your school, do you get to keep that? Well, I, no. Like There's a, a standard of behavior for how you address that content that you find. So uh, tied up in that is how do you use the pictures, the images, the words, and the writings of other people when you encounter them in the hallway of like the internet? Right. And this came up in, in the episode with Amy Burval when she was talking about remix culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, using other people's content that's online, part of digital citizenship is um, paying proper attribution. But then because of the tools that we have, what's the fine line between um, copyright infringement and stealing someone's idea or remixing someone's idea? So it's this fine line between right. what can you create from someone else's work and then are you just taking someone else's right. work? And, and so much of that is hard to address because it's not resolved. And there was a great uh, video I watched online. I think I tagged you in it. Um, it was a video about um, hip-hop stars who have created dance moves oh, yeah. that it's define them, like signature moves that are part of their song. And other uh, artists will represent that or do that dance move but give them credit. And what's happened is that you've got um, Fortnite has made over a billion dollars last year in sales, but not for the game itself, but for like costumes, but even more appropriately, emotes, the dance moves. And what they've been doing is they've changed the name of specific dance moves to something for them so that it's not proprietary. And, And there was a great article about the law. The law says you can't steal an entire dance, but a particular move you don't possess. If a dance is a wall made of bricks, you possess the wall made of bricks, but you don't possess the individual brick of the moves. So 
technically, legally, Fortnite has no obligation to some star who created a dance move. But what they're saying in, in trying to litigate right now is, yeah, it matters. That that belongs to me. I worked hard to create that. Why is that any different? It's like right. saying that you you can copyright a movie but not an individual picture. Right. Right? And that, that whole issue of digital citizenship is playing out on you know, Fortnite, which is where all of these kids actually are right now. So I think it's a really great way to connect the idea of digital citizenship, citizenship if you're interacting with kids. Right. So they, I mean, they likely saw that video online. Mm-hmm. They appropriated the dance move, put it into a digital format. I think it's really interesting because now it's getting pushed back out to the real world. Like my daughter does one of those dance moves. I don't think she has any idea where it where it came from originally, where it exists now, it's a fascinating take on it. Um, but it's like a catchphrase. Like a person can try to copyright a catchphrase if they're a an online star or a TV personality, right? right? How is a dance move that's signature any different than a signature catchphrase? Right. So we really have to define that as a culture as we take these ideas and we can immediately distribute them to the world. Um, the people who are consuming them sometimes lose track of the fact that it started somewhere and belonged to someone. Right. How do you attribute in an environment that's like, in an economy of ideas that way? It gets really hard. I think a lot of it has to do with like litigation. But then how do we as teachers then teach? Like you take an idea from a story. That's always been something people struggle with. You're doing a research paper. You find some sources and you use those sources. But what about the ones where you don't specifically quote something? But in spirit, you capture the idea. To what do you have an obligation? Right. I mean... It's at a super granular level, like students get devices for the first time. Um, you would hope that a teacher doesn't use language like go Google an image. Mm-hmm. So you're maybe you teach them how to find images where you have the, the ability to or you're providing proper attribution. Right. Um, but I think I think the, dis, the thing we were just talking about um, I think sometimes it would feel so far removed from a classroom, but it's a really good example in the real world of what's happening with regards to digital citizenship, the right. content, I think it was appropriated. The content was st- stolen and then reused to make money. Um, and that could happen. Right. Uh, I love the work of Austin Cleone. Someday we will get him on this podcast. If you're listening. Yeah, Austin, if you're listening, we will get you on this podcast. Because his, his idea of steal like an artist and show your work is like, and Amy referred to this as well. Yeah. Every every idea, every creative artistic idea is essentially a remix of someone else's idea. Like Austin does blackout poetry, that's someone else's idea that he is turning into something else. Amy remixes art from, from all earlier genres artists. and turns it into something else. Smashes separate ideas into new ideas. Right. But that's typically not how digital citizenship is presented. Digital citizenship in a school environment is how to stay safe online, what's appropriate behavior online, who should you safely interact with online, and then what's the material that you can or cannot use that you found online, and then how can you reuse it appropriately. But I think think there's a massive hole in the discussion. I think that those things are seen as separate and they need to join that conversation together. If you look at what a high school or in older uh, levels of education, they're talking about on their syllabus. Um, If you talk about like what they're talking about in the first few days of school, like the plagiarism discussion is in handbooks, it's on syllabi. And so we have to have that conversation. And, um, but at the same time, and this is no, no criticism of the school that I'm visiting. I'm visiting a school in upcoming week. And when we talked about the idea that digital citizenship, we would talk about um, much more 
um, very technical aspects of search right. to narrow yourself to what you can rightfully use based upon like usage rights. It was like, nah, I don't think we need that. We have these other priorities, and and I get it because there's so much, li- there's such limited time. Right. You're, but then you can tie that together. For instance, if you're making a video online, I think you have an obligation, out of, like, like a, as a citizen of a society, to say, here is how to get images that comport to our rules and how it should be because they belong to you. Right. And the tools, like an Adobe Spark page, where they have images that are. Uh, suitable for sharing, license right. for sharing, or we just looked at a uh, um, a tool today Sway. when you're creating in Sway that gives you a checkbox to get licensed right. materials, and that has to be part of the conversation. Otherwise, you're just you. What we accept, we teach, and if we accept that students are using things that aren't copyrighted and licensed, and then at the same time we have a school like the penalty for cheating is a zero on. On, on an assignment in most cases, mm-hmm. like what are we really saying there? Like those yeah. those values need to align some way, right? Yeah, and that's big though, and that's yeah. big, and and then you're you're putting that together into a situation where, oftentimes teachers will say to me, and I completely uh, I completely I identify with this is, but I have an assignment where we're trying to do a research paper. How much time am I going to get into? Like copyright and licensing and the levels of licensing yeah. and like all these different things. And I, I think that that's something that schools as a system have to address. Otherwise, if the system doesn't address it, it falls to the individual and the individual doesn't have time for the granular study of that. Right. And, and I, I'm trying to think about it differently too. Like change the way people are understanding that word and like the entry point for the word. So... Instead of digital citizenship being one of like defensive action, right? Like make sure you're safe, make sure the behavior is appropriate. I want to look at it as more of like an offensive action. Sure. So if you are a so forget digital. If you're a citizen, it's how do you participate in society? Right. So di- to me, so digital citizenship. How do you participate? Like active. I'm moving forward. I'm being offensive. How do I participate in a digital world, which is not, it's not separate. It is society. Digital society is society. It's the same thing. So, and absolutely borrowing. I listened to way too many episodes of the daily V podcast and this idea of attention is sticking with me. So in society, how do you participate reasonably responsively to get people's to pay attention to your ideas and that idea to me is translated into the the digital world how can a student participate responsibly in a digital environment to get attention on their ideas and know how to do that to me that's digital citizenship it's not whether or not you're using a copyrighted image it's what's your idea and do you have any idea all the different ways in which you have to present it to get someone to pay attention to it and which is the best medium to pick. Like right. experiment right now. Podcasting has been the medium for us to share ideas. Now we're going to run it live and podcast and see what happens here. Right. And we have to figure this out. So if you're going to create video content, how do you create it in a way that's going to get someone to stop and pay attention to it when they're flooded with ideas and no one has any compelling reason to stop But I and think- look? That's just an extension of like, and that may sound new, but I think that's just an extension of what we did before when we said, 
you're going to have an opportunity to speak and you're going to get on a soapbox. So we're going to teach mm-hmm. you oration skills, right. right? Or you might have the chance to publish something. So when the, when given that opportunity, we want you to be able to leverage that opportunity effectively. So you must write well, you must research well, you must speak well. And this is, again, a literacy skill, attention. Will you be able to like assume the spotlight or gain the spotlight for the ideas that you present. I think that's just a natural extension of those ideas. Right. Like, I mean, this, if if it's a soapbox analogy, no one's going to stop and listen to you unless you can be convincing and you, there's certain capacity that you have when you're presenting your your argument just orally to a live audience. Right. But it's the same thing here. Scott McCloud, I I posted this, posed this idea online of like, what do we really mean by digital citizenship? And I love Scott McLeod's response. So Scott was a keynote speaker at a previous iPad summit. Um, Dangerously irrelevant is his Twitter handle, his blog, one of the first kind of like educational people I started following online, like always admired his work, really sharp stuff. And his add-on to the traditional perspective was the ability to uh, communicate in the dominant form of media at the time. Right. So there is no one dominant. Well, you could argue video is a dominant form of media, but audio is becoming increasingly important with the ability to, it, it sounds so simple, but like Bluetooth or smart speakers makes audio way more relevant. Absolutely. But, and I think about this, what would it, what would it, like how much would I value if I was the teacher and I had two students doing this? Like, hey, Mr. Coolwick, you gave us this really challenging question last night. So we decided to live stream it, see what people were thinking, record it, publish it as an audio. And like, yeah, here's the here's the couple articles we write to be prepared to have this discussion. Right. I have a my, my son has a friend who was very into music and he's one of those people like music and like feeds his soul and makes him better. He uses it. It it becomes everything. It becomes his expression. It becomes how he like thinks about the world. Right. Right. And so I, he wanted to do a podcast. His dad bought him a microphone and I kept encouraging him, just do this, just do this in the process of doing it. He had to learn about the microphone. He had to learn about the tools. He went out and researched anchor. Um, and, and ultimately um, he posted his podcast, but because he had put full songs within the podcast, mm-hmm. it got rejected from yeah, Apple. Exactly. And so he he now he had to understand copyright. So I talked to him about fair use, and he's like, "Will you send it to me?" So <laughs> on the way is fair use. Teaching him fair use, he would care less. Right. But now because it hindered his expression, he's become more literate in like the art of creating and using other people's works. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of validity there. But going back to another point, I think. If you want to go back to like the 18th century world of the sciences in Britain, there was a very technical way that you had to speak in order to get your word out, right? And that was removed from what the common person was. But if you wanted to speak in that way, you needed to know like the ins and outs of that environment and the way, like the technical way of speaking. So for each of the platforms that we're talking about and for um, all the tools that we're talking about and for the message you're trying to send, you have to know audience and you have to know the platform's uh, idiosyncrasies in order to speak that way. I mean, well, that's the same thing as today is understanding, like we were just dealing with this today, understanding what is the purpose of posting to this network or this network or this environment? How does that look different on my website and all these sorts of things? Um, The I I just I I almost want the um, all discussion around this to be framed as one of as an offensive move. And I've never thought about this before until now, but instead of being hyper defensive, I would want it to be over the top offensive. Get out ahead of it. Yeah. But 
But um, uh, uh, Carrie Gallagher posted that was had this discussion going last night and the night before about the idea of screen time. So that's also part of digital citizenship. Um, so Carrie, that's uh, like research-based information, you know, research-based arguments and perspective on screen time and like things that parents should be aware of right. to guide their kids through this environment. And then um, uh, MindWise, Lauren Krauss. Mm -hmm. uh, she posted the other night about how it's understanding how to weave in and out of digital spaces and analog or face to face and knowing when to create your balance and be aware of that in your head. And then there's this other perspective that is the kids are going to live in this world. Why are you trying to create balance when you should be, you know, teaching them how to live in that world and stop like stop putting reins on it. Teach them how to go all in. Now, I don't know which one I subscribe to. Uh, to be totally honest, when it's someone else's kid, I'm like, hey, teach them how to go all in. When it's my kid, I'm like, don't get near a device. Right. So I'm a little bit torn on this personally as well. But I'd rather have them know how to take advantage of it, leverage it, make an archive of what they've done, control what their voice is. And, and uh, I was talking to Saba last night. We, we, had, we were just having a phone call talking about a project she's working on. I won't kind of allude to, I won't talk about the project. But it's the idea of like technology has so many capacities and like low hanging fruit is to automate processes in a classroom, right? right? That has the potential to free you up to do all sorts of other exceptionally creative, powerful, meaningful stuff. That's part of being digitally literate because I think there's more than digital citizenship. I think it's being digitally literate as well. It's like you can't function in society without being literate. You can't function in a digital world without being literate across multiple modes of creation. Text, audio, video, graphics. It's like everyone has to be a graphic designer right. and audio editor. Know how to be like just dangerous enough. And and that's out, but it's hard because you're talking about like if you define it that way with these two ideas, like like let's hold it back and stay away from a screen versus like let them live in that world. Then I think forward to where they're going to be living. Can you imagine going into a, a job and being like, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to be limited to four hours of screen time during every workday. Like that's not a reality. Like right. you're going to have to learn how to do that. So I mean, and so at some point they're going to be in this free reign world. It's just what skills do they need at what time to be given what freedom within that environment, right? right? And what you're saying, I know for a fact you're not saying I'm never going to let my kids have screens. It's just like, and that's like a spiraling. That's like how do we structure right. turning them loose into that world? So when we think about like the extremes there, I think we're really not saying like one choice or the other. Like when is that sliding scale moving back and forth to like turn them? It, it, it's like the hallway analogy. Let's just say that we're doing the hallway analogy. At what point are you old enough, mature enough, and um, aware enough to go down the hallway by yourself? Right. Right. Like you look at elementary schools and kids are walking in lines, lines everywhere yeah. that they go. You get into a high school, the bell rings and there's chaos. And, you know, those systems work because we've brought you up to be ready to live in that system. Yeah. I think what gets a little bit... Uh, scary for teachers is that they're not necessarily sure what the system is becoming because the movement happens so fast, yeah. right? And then they don't feel like they know how to create it. And we want support and we need help to kind of break that down and think about that in, in a big way. Yeah. Or, or it turns into like, there, there's control and scaffolding at the elementary level, then you get to the high school level. And it's like, well, we don't do that because it's not safe or it's different or we don't know how. Right. But you, it's almost like you don't have you can't say, I don't know how to do that, or I don't know how to get my kids to work in that environment, or I don't know how to even present that idea to them. Like, it's, right. a, it's a super relevant skill. It's not going to go away. Well, and the other part is, how do you create a long game 
for a system. How do you prepare kids that were born in 2000 for like the 18 years that they spanned education when kids who were born in 2006 lived in a very different span? Like, and systems don't change that fast. Educational systems, districts, or if you live in an area where there's like an elementary district and a high school district, for them to like come up with a plan, coordinate it and gear towards an outcome when that outcome is a moving target. I think that's daunting. Yeah, it is. Um, We have almost made it to the end. So two things. One, if you're watching on the live feed, I apologize. The, Sorry. The phone is propped way up there. We have to figure out. We need to get like a little tripod. We couldn't respond to anyone, but I noticed a few people have jump, jumped in. So for the first shot at this, we appreciate it if you've been watching. We'll figure out a way to respond to that stuff. I think we might even cut the recording and do like the mini, mini after show. But this could turn into like the, the, the podcast after show down the road. That'll be something we do. The there, are, there are also two analogies in this episode. There was the hallway analogy and the brick wall analogy. So two and a half hours, pretty good for Sean. Okay. Um, So we'll do this. We'll do like final concluding thoughts. So Sean will have his final takeaway on this idea of digital citizenship, which kind of morphed into digital literacy. I think that you have to think about digital citizenship as um, like, how are we going to help prepare kids for the world that they live in, but also to have them act responsibly and safely in that. And I don't think that that's a huge leap from what we used to do when we didn't have online experiences, right? Like they're community spaces, they're like environments. And we know how to behave, like behavior is different from, you know, a school environment to a sporting event environment to a mall public space environment. And if we can start defining the the kind of online spaces that we live in and thinking about what behaviors those are, I think it helps to, like, and the analogy is is helpful to me because when I'm in an undefined situation where like teachers, when, when we go into schools and teachers are saying, well, what should I be doing in this situation? I can say, well, think about it like, what's a situation that's similar, like a hallway? What does that look like, right? You lose something in a hallway, I know what to do with it. Well, online, you find a picture. What would you do with it? Oh, whose is it? Give them credit for the fact that it is, right? Right. Um, And I think that we we need kind of common sense thinking about how to address undefined um, spaces sometimes to help us give guidance to students. Right. Right? So my my takeaway is... um Geez, I ha- it was twofold. I had one idea. I'll try to get back to the original, the second one. But um, I think it's constant, like uh, constantly wanting to push to figure out what's another way that I can present my idea in mm-hmm. a digital format. Um, so some of the work I've been doing lately, just personal, like how do I address this idea? Is like I'm trying to figure out new ways to generate video, to draw attention to the video, even just to be creative with like what does the content look like and. Can you make it look unique compared to every other way that the mm-hmm. stories are being told? So that's one side to it. Um, son of a gun. I had a, there was another thought in there. Oh, now we need to edit the audio. Son of a gun is okay. <laughs> I, can leave that. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's like, it ties to the moving target idea. Like, yes, it's a moving target, but we're all responsible for always having an eye on where the target is and not just going, well, I'm comfortable doing this now. Right. So I, I don't have to pay attention to the target anymore because it's going to change really quickly. Right. Um, oh, here, here is what it is. Digital citizenship. I remember getting out of college and my dad being like, and even friends of mine, like, oh, you got to network. You got to network. Right. Like you're only, you got to connect with people and network. I'm thinking, I don't even know what that means. Right. I, one, I don't know how to do it face to face. I feel uncomfortable doing it face to face. But now add another layer to that is like digital networking is very real. Very real and powerful. Like high school kids. Yes, have a LinkedIn page and start now. 
Um, you want to get connected to other people in your industry or your field, like knowing how to find them on different social spaces and connect with them and network with them digitally. Like that's part of digital citizenship. The okay. way that part of citizenship is to find your the group you want to identify right. with and know how to break into that group and connect with them. Right. Like, can you do that digitally? That's a super relevant well, skill. Well, think about I, as as like an anecdotal aspect of that. I am amazed by how many students go into the field of education and then immediately create a LinkedIn profile and then follow their teachers back. Yeah. And when, when my students go into different fields and see me on LinkedIn and take the time to connect with me, I'm always impressed with like they're a freshman in their freshman year of college right. and they're already thinking career oriented. And I think that's the right mindset. Right. Like make those connections early, connect with the people that you interact with because it's going to be that you come back to them and like that defines the networking experience just right. a little bit more. All right. Hey, we did it. So this Woo. is going to be, this will be what, episode 13 or 14? 14. Four, episode 14. Um, the first one we've recorded face-to-face, which was awesome. Um, the first one streaming live. Thank you for anyone who's still watching. If you ju- jumped in for a minute, that's fantastic. This will hopefully become more of a regular thing. So I think we did it. Congratulations. Let's, kill, let's, let's end the recording. And scene. So we've been thinking is sponsored by the EdTech Teacher Summit. Join EdTech Teacher in Boston, November 5th through the 7th, featuring keynote speaker Dr. Diana Howard, whose career focuses on intelligent technologies that must adapt to and function within a human-centered world. For more information or to register for the conference, please go to ettsummit.org.